Hello, Blazers. Welcome to episode 118 of UAB Green and Told, original release Monday, February 26, 2024. This podcast gives us a chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Listen to previous episodes of Green and Told at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. While there, I'd like to encourage you to leave a written review to help more alums find us. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and director of communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. For nearly as long as she can remember, today's guest has been fascinated with art. As an art history major at UAB, Kristen Greenwood was able to refine her craft and gain an even greater appreciation of works by some of the greats. But her time at UAB wasn't like today's technologically advanced era, where students can make a series of keystrokes to register. When she was taking classes, you had to line up. There was no online registration, so you had to go and, you know, wait for a very long time in line. And everyone was there, you know, on the last day of registration to get registered. And she'll also share her experience working in the Birmingham Museum of Art and why it can be considered a hidden gem. The quality of the collection and the diversity of the collection. I think, um, no offense to Atlanta, but, you know, you think Atlanta's the bigger city, they're going to have the better museum, better collection, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. Plus, we'll learn what Kristen is doing now, working directly with young ladies through her work with Girl Spring. Girls are some of our greatest resources. Girls have talents that they can bring to the table that complement um, the talents that are already at the table. Paul Strand once said, the artist's world is limitless. It can be found anywhere far from where he lives or a few feet away. It is always on his doorstep. That world includes Birmingham, UAB, and Kristen Greenwood. Before moving to Virginia when she was young, Kristen lived in the Magic City. And for her, there's always been an appreciation of the arts, not just through paintings and sculptures. She has embraced just about every form. I always took dance, so I always um, did dance lessons. I took piano till I was about maybe in sixth grade, and then I just kind of lost interest. I was in Girl Scouts. Um, yeah, those were kind of my big things. Never into sports. At that time, girls were not into sports as much as they are now. The reason I ask is because you wound up coming to UAB via Virginia to get a degree in art history. Right. <laughs> where does that line up and where does that interest come from? Well, living in Virginia, we were in Northern Virginia. So as a child, you know, our school field trips, we were going to like the National Portrait Gallery and the Smithsonian. So I always had a lot of exposure to that, um, honestly, mostly through school field trips. My mom and my stepfather were not really interested in art um, at all. So that was really mostly from school. So um, yeah, so we were going to all these big museums as a child, went there a lot. And um, as I got to be a teenager and got to drive by myself, then I would go just on my own. And so I've always loved, I mean, since I first was exposed to that, the idea of museums and the idea of using art as a way to teach people about life. And um, then I, I mean, I kind of always knew that I wanted to come back to Birmingham. And so I did. And um, UAB was a great choice for me because I didn't have um, as much maybe as, as some other people do. I had to work while I was in college. So it gave me a great opportunity to work and still be able to go to school. And um, yeah, and so I just um, picked up the art history and, and took 
off from there. Were there particular artists that you were drawn to or styles, genres that you were drawn to as a tween teenager before you got to here at UAB? So, yeah, so they, um, so I ended up doing, this is going backwards, but I ended up doing my thesis, my master's thesis on George Bellows, which is probably one of the first artists that I remember seeing at a museum in D.C., um, probably at the National Gallery, I want to say. Um, and, and so I got very interested in that American art, the Ashcan School, um, just even as an early early visitor to museums. And um, and then when I moved back here, the Birmingham Museum of Art also has a very big, large George Bellows and it's one of the galleries. So I, I reconnected there and um, ended up doing my thesis on George Bellows. What was it about his work that kind of drew you into him? Um, you know, for so he was an early 20th century artist, um, died well before before World War II, um, probably right after, not that long after World War One, And um, so for the time, he was very edgy. So he, he depicted subjects of like the really gritty parts of New York, um, not the glamorous parts. And um, he was, a lot of his work focused also, he did a lot of sports imagery, which I'm not a sports person at all, but for some reason, I think the sports, like the boxing matches, really showed that grittier side of New York, which just seemed very, I don't know why, it just seemed very cool to me and I really liked it. So when you decided to become an art history major, what were your plans in life? Because a lot of people look at it and go, well, there's not much you can do. You can curate or maybe you can teach, but what was your plan? So I really always knew that I wanted to work in a museum. Okay. So um, I will say I'm very fortunate that i that I did get that job like really right out of college. It was the first job, first real job that I had. And um, so I always knew I wanted to work in museums and I, in Birmingham, there's, you know, really that there, of course there's AVA, which is also, um, but that's more like a gallery, not a museum. So I, that was the path I wanted. It was like, I set my plan out and it worked out really well. You had mentioned that you had always wanted to come back to Alabama to go to school. Why was that? Because here you are. I mean, you'd spent, you know, a dozen or so years away from the city or I guess you spent 10 years away from the city um, growing up in Virginia. So what drew you back? Um, so honestly, I had a lot of family here. And okay. so my parents got divorced. So uh, my mother's family was in Virginia and then my dad's family was here. So um, and my my dad had passed away. But my other cousins and aunts and uncles and things like that were still here. Um, honestly, I should say that I came just because of UAB, but um, really I, I didn't know. I mean, there's a lot of options for colleges in Birmingham, um, but UAB just turned out to be really the best one for me. And so family and, and then UAB. I imagine it's about nine hours away from home where your mom is up in Virginia at the time. What was life like being away and not being able to rely on that close-knit family? You mentioned you had family in the area, but yeah. not relying on your mom as much. It really, because when my parents divorced, they were not on good terms. So um, I really didn't see my dad a whole lot during the, you know, second grade to college. Um, 
and then he died while I was um, my senior year of high school. And so my relatives from my dad's side of the family, I kind of had to get reconnected to. So um, there was one, my aunt, I guess I had stayed in touch with a little bit, but um, yeah, it was a little bit of rebuilding and you know, the people that I knew in Birmingham as a child, I mean, other than my relatives, none of those people, you know, were in my circle anymore. I didn't know anyone. So yeah, it took a little bit to get reestablished. You get to UAB, you're here mid nineties up until 2000. What was campus like? Because it's not like the campus that we know today. Right. So it was, first of all, when you went to register, you had to go to the Hill Center and register in person. Um, there was no online registration, so you had to go and you know wait for a very long time in line. And everyone was there, you know, on the last day of registration to get registered. Um, it was, I guess, the main building was the Hill Center, um, and it was you know just a three or four story red brick building. And um, the art history classes, the art history department moved around a lot. So um, some of the classes were in the humanities building, but then eventually some were in this, I don't even know what this built. It was a very small one-story building um, on maybe on 10th Avenue, but I'm sure it's demolished now. Um, but yeah, a lot of my classes were there. So it was, I'm sure not the, not quite as luxurious um, and high-tech of an experience as it is now. You wind up leaving UAB, graduating with your undergraduate degree, and you go straight into working in art um, with the B Birmingham Museum of Art. What, what was that experience like? Because you spent a lot of time working there, more than a dozen years. Um, yeah, it was great experience and um, love the museum. I think we're very lucky in Birmingham to have such a great collection. Um, you know, I started right before, well, not right before, but during my time there, um, the museum had the Pompeii exhibition, which was one of, honestly, it was probably from, from an art perspective, it wasn't the, the most, you know, high quality, top notch, um, in terms of, you know, fine art, but, um, from like, a, what it did for Birmingham and the economic growth from that and. Um, the visitors it brought in, it was incredible. It was, it was such an incredible time to be there. And during my time there, that was, we had other exhibitions that, that were big, but um, as far as the excitement that it created, it was pretty exciting time to be there. And I mean, watching the museum grow, because I, I was there for a long time and it grew quite a bit from the time I started till when I left. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. I can't. Can't complain at all. I'm very lucky that I got to work there. It's kind of like a hidden gem in Birmingham. A lot of people really don't know about it, and and then it's underrated when it comes to being, you know, on a, a grander scheme, a grander scale. It really is. I mean, I think the quality of the collection and the diversity of the collection. I think, um, no offense to Atlanta, but you know, you think Atlanta is the bigger city they're going to have the better museum, better collection. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. So it really is a hidden gem. You wind up going from one nonprofit to another in Girl Spring. Talk a little bit about Girl Spring, what it's about and why you made the change. I will say when I worked at the museum, I 
worked in the education department. So one of the programs that I started was the teenage, it was called Teen BMA. And so I had been working with teenagers for several years, loved working with that age group. And then as a girl, I can relate to all of the trials and tribulations that teenage girls go through. So um, I knew our founder, Jane Comer, through the museum. Uh, she was uh, heavily involved with the museum. So I knew her through that and then learned that she was starting this new nonprofit. And um, it just seemed like a great opportunity and um, next step in my career. And so that's kind of how I got there. So Girl Spring started, Jane Comer founded it. Um, and when it, she founded it in 2010, and I didn't start till 2015, but it took took a couple of years to get, um, to figure out where, you know, we fit in the world of empowering girls. Jane's original vision was that girls are some of our greatest resources. Girls have talents that they can bring to the table that complement um, the talents that are already at the table. So, um, she started it with that vision and originally it was programming more um, in-person programming and then as it evolved we discovered that the way we could really reach girls without any transportation or scheduling issues was um, through our website so the website when i first started my biggest task was to get the website kicked off and get that launched and it was already in development but it needed to be pushed and launched forward so as we started working with teenage girls directly, we realized they wanted to be a part of it. They didn't want to just go to a website and look at the information. So now that's our biggest program. So the girlspring.com is our website. And then the springboarders are um, a teenage group of girls, mostly from Birmingham. But during COVID, we started meeting over Zoom. And so now we have several girls from out of state that participate too. So they create the content for the website, um, most of the content. Um, we also have resources that are written by professionals, but the teenage girls work together as a group to figure out what they're going to write about that month, what they're going to, some of it's artwork, some of it's poetry, and then a lot is just personal essays. So that's the biggest program, teenage girls 13 to 18 with this online community where they can safely interact it's you know monitored um so they love they love that that's been really successful and then we also have um, a big stem fair every year that's a public event we have a summer camp um, called she camp and last year we had it at art play which was fantastic and um and then we do have other public programs throughout the year and then also now in school programs so uh, if girls can't come to us, we will go to them at their schools, high school, middle and high school. Why is this demographic so important to connect with? There is still a persistence of, if you look at science and STEM careers, for example, STEM fields, women are not, girls and women are not going into those fields. So girls at about third grade start to lose confidence. They start to question themselves, you know, maybe a little younger, they might be more in interested in exploring a field where um, where it is maybe male dominated. So then about third or fourth grade, they start looking around and they say, wait a second, I'm the only girl in this, you know, robotics club or science club or whatever it is. And they start to doubt themselves and question themselves. So confidence really falls at that starting about that age. 
the you know risk taking to to try something new starts and so i think there's a lot of things we can do by exposing girls to these careers exposing them to strong female role models that are in leadership positions so you know when you think of ceos at top companies there's a very small percentage of women that are in those c-suite positions you know so having introducing girls to women that are in these roles can really do a lot just to tell girls that they can see themselves in those roles how have you seen the program grow from the time that you started with Girls Spring to where you are today? Obviously, with COVID, things got changed a little bit with the virtual aspect of things. But in terms of the number of girls participating, how have you seen that change? Yeah, so actually, COVID, um, we were fortunate because our biggest program at the time was our website. And so when COVID happened, we had... Before COVID, I would say we had maybe, you know, 15, 20 girls in our teen group that that was working on the website. And after, I mean, almost within a month's time, um, you know, March to April of 2020, we had girls apply. You have to apply to join that program. And we had more applications than we had ever had before. And so for our 2021 20, class, that coincides with the school year, we had 60 applications. So, I mean, it really like quadrupled basically just in a month or two. And we've been able to consistently hold that number of girls, you know, girls graduate and then new girls apply. So we've, we've kept that number at about 60. And then our website traffic too, when we, before COVID, we were getting about 3000 visitors a month. After COVID, um, I mean, it jumped to like 8,000 and then just kept climbing. So now we're at about 15,000 visitors a month pretty regularly. I'm sure there's multiple ways people can get involved to kind of help. What can people do if they wanna lend resources to Girls Spring and be a part of your organization? On our website, girlspring.com, we have, um, of course, donating. We are a nonprofit. So of course there's financial contribution, which is always needed. Um, we also have a junior board, which is young professionals, like 25 to late 30s, and they are really very hands-on. So people can join that group and they can help with the girls that submit the essays and things to the website. They can help by um, stepping in to help with their writing, giving them feedback on their writing. They can help, they also help at events. So when we have like the STEM fair or the she camp, we always need volunteers to jump in and help with that. And then, you know, there's the junior board itself is is like this up and coming group of professionals that can that helps um, with different programs. So that's one way. The teenage girls, if you're a teenager, age 13 to 18, you can apply for the Springboarders program um, or a new program. We have Girls at the Center, which is um, specifically for girls of color. So there's that, there's, um, you know, we're always looking for people just to volunteer and help out at different events too. And, that, and that's all on the website. Oh, and internships. We have a lot of college interns, a lot of interns from UAB. So um, my intern right now is from UAB. So lots of internship opportunities too. While the, the whole program is relatively young, I mean, we're talking 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Have you seen those success stories? 
of the girls so far that have graduated from the program? Yes, definitely. So um, my my one of my biggest success stories. They're all successful, of course, but um, the one of our the very first girls that was in the Springboarders group, Zoe Zahariotis, graduated from. She was a senior in 2016, so she graduated, and then she has stayed in touch. She has done internships with us over the past few summers. Um, she's she is very much a girl who's going to change the world. So she ended up doing um, study abroad in Switzerland, and then she's recently graduated and gotten her master's. She led it. She developed a a camp in Syria for, um, or in Greece for Syrian refugees. Um, so she's done all kinds of amazing things. And every time I talk to her, she says how much being in Girl Spring and meeting girls from other schools, that's the big thing. These girls are all, almost all of them are from different schools. So you might be from Mountain Brook, you might be from Ramsey, you might be from Altamont, but the thing that they all have in common is that they believe in empowering girls and they all want to make the world a better place. Zoe has said, you know, being around all of these different types of people with different backgrounds really helped her think about how she sees the world and get to where she is now. Looking back at your two degrees, both in history of art, yeah, but I'm sure they both helped you in your current role. How have they aided as executive director at Girl Spring? Yeah, so you know the I think when people think about art history, they think you go and you you know read books about art, you look at pictures of art, which you do, but you know it really teaches you how to um, think critically and creatively. And so I think whether you're in a museum setting or a or an academic setting, you can take the skills that you learn in art history and apply them to so many other things. We had a program actually with partnered with, with UAB medical students to do something where the medical students would come in and learn about um, looking, you know, they would really spend time looking at specific artworks and then they were relating that to their diagnostic skills. So when you're in a busy hospital setting, I guess you don't, there, there's so much just logistical work and getting patients in and things like that, that they said oftentimes they they miss things because they're, um, you know, they're just thinking more about the actual workflow than looking at things that could be pointing out symptoms to them. So we use the art to to help them focus on that, which was really cool. So yeah, the, the critical thinking, the creative thinking, um, it, those all go into what I do now and working with the teenage girls um, as they're submitting artwork or writing to the website. Um, also just being relatable to people. I think art can make you look at things in a different way. You made the choice, you made the decision to apply to become a member of the board of directors for the UAB National Alumni Society. Yes. To connect yourself back with the university. Why is that important to you? You know, for me, one, personally, UAB was such an important part of my, you know, transition to adulthood, I guess. So, um, and it wasn't as big as it is now, but now I feel like it's it's really like a star of our city. Um, not that it wasn't then, but it wasn't as big of a star. Sure. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've always felt a connection to UAB. I've tried to stay involved just different ways, whether, you know, going to AVA or staying in touch with professors or making sure UAB interns are involved in Girl Springs. So, um, yeah, I just thought this would be a, a really a great way to be more involved, to be more connected, to meet other UAB alums who also felt a great love for UAB. So, yeah, I'm excited. That's Kristen Greenwood, a two-time graduate of the College of Arts and Sciences, where she earned a Bachelor of Arts in 1999 and Master of Arts in 2006, both in art history. Today, she is the executive director of Girlspring, a nonprofit that was established to provide access to reliable information, inspiring events, and positive role models so girls are empowered to reach their full potential. With a deep relationship with Birmingham and UAB, Kristen definitely has an idea of what it means to be a blazer. I think having that, you know, having the attachment to UAB, being willing to spread the word about UAB, make sure people know what a great place it is and what a great school it is and how many different programs and opportunities there are. I think that's, that's my definition of a blazer. Be sure to check out past episodes of the UAB Green and Told podcast. Listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold. Have a story to share or know someone who does? Email greenandtold at uab.edu. Finally, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers!